Last month, I went to a soccer game. No big deal, right? Very big deal. The National Women's Soccer League game that I attended between the Portland Thorns and the Seattle Reign happened right after the World Cup. The place was packed. Or, in the words of National Women's Soccer League commentator Ann Schatz, History will be made tonight in Portland, Oregon. Over 21,000 fans will jam Providence Park for the latest edition of the Cascadia rivalry between the Thorns and Seattle Reign. The sellout will be a new NWSL attendance record. That's right. 21,000 people came to see the game, the biggest crowd ever to turn out for an American National Women's Soccer League match. And the fans were pumped. Some of them were waving flags for the Seattle Reign. Many of them were waving flags for the Portland Thorns. But also in the crowd were flags that you don't often see at a pro sports event, rainbow pride flags. While sports are often rife with homophobia, women's soccer is filled with out queer players. And in the bleachers are many, many queer fans. Portland Thorns midfielder Sarah Huffman, who is now retired from the team, but whose World Cup smooch with her wife Abby Wambach went viral over the summer, talked about the importance of seeing those rainbow flags in the crowd during a 2014 interview with the Oregonian. But it's nice. I mean, I think every day, whether it's or in the Timbers game or in our games, there's flags up in support. And just those little things, just to know the communities behind you, the fans are behind you and they support you. Um, it's really, it's a kind of indescribable feeling. So why is women's soccer such a welcoming place for queer fans and athletes? There's no one better to talk about this question than Steph Yang, a hardcore soccer fan who has written about LGBT identity and the National Women's Soccer League for Bitch. I called up Steph at her home in Boston. All right, Steph, let's start out with um, you giving a shout out to any of your favorite teams. What teams are you a big fan of that uh, you want everyone to know about? Right now, I guess it's just the one. It's the Boston Breakers who play in NWSL. They're going through a really interesting time. They just, um, their last coach just resigned and they just hired a new one from England coming from Liverpool Ladies. So yeah, who knows? He's probably going to fire half the roster. So we're all kind of on pins and needles waiting for the hammer to drop. <laughs> Maybe a hard time to be a Boston Breakers fan. Yeah, an interesting time anyway. All right, Steph. Well, today we're going to talk specifically about sort of homophobia in sports and how women's soccer uh, has a real different approach to queer fans and queer players than you see in a lot of sports. Um, so sports across the board have a reputation for being a breeding ground of homophobia, and the first international study of gay athletes ever came out this summer. It surveyed 9,500 people in English-speaking countries, and the results were not good. 78% of athletes said that youth sports are unsafe for lesbian, gay, and bi people. 83% said that fans are likely to be targeted uh, if they're gay, lesbian, or bi. So I want to talk to you about your your ideas about how women's soccer is approaching this differently. What is it like um, for queer fans and queer players in, in women's soccer? It's changing. It's changed really rapidly, I'd say, in the last five or so years. Um, I think kind of a, the jumping off point might have been when Megan Rapinoe came out as openly gay. Before that, there had been queer women in women's soccer 
um, Natasha Kai came out, I think, in 2008. She just kind of offhandedly mentioned, yeah, my girlfriend, so-and-so. But there wasn't as much of a big to-do about it, and I think part of it was at the time, U.S. soccer wasn't super ready to deal with an out-gay athlete, um, and kind of American society wasn't either, but fast forward to 2012, and then, you know, Megan Rapinoe's getting recognized, getting awards, stuff like that. So... Is women's soccer doing something different to be encouraging of queer players and queer fans? Why why are women more able and safe to come out as players in national women's soccer than in other sports? Firstly, I think just by the act of being a women's sport, it's kind of subversive, a popular women's sport at that, because ever since the, the national team started winning and winning big, it started getting momentum and money, and it's kind of hard to argue with money in America. Um so by just being a women's sport, you're already intruding on an area where men have established a ton of dominance. But with women's sport, especially in America, women's soccer has grown by such leaps and bounds. And, you know, they've traditionally always done better than the men have in international competitions because of a bunch of factors, which I won't get into here. But so it's it's women's sport, but it's popular. So it creates this space where women who are fans of something, uh, something subversive, suddenly find themselves a fan of something that's, that's big and it gives them a voice. So I think it attracts people who aren't necessarily invited into majority spaces. So if you could go to this thing and it was safe for you to like and you could find other people like you who enjoyed it. It's not like going to an NFL game where there's probably going to be a lot of cis straight guys who have some gross opinions about women because, you know, they're in a very macho, um, masculine catering atmosphere. Well, so that's interesting. So the fact that women's soccer started out with a smaller fan base, in some ways, let, let it be sort of an open ground for new fans to establish themselves and feel safe there because it wasn't something that was already dominated by a specific tradition, a specific culture that's a bunch of dudes. Yeah, it was a new place. It was kind of unexplored. It's like when you find this beautiful new island, you get to, um, you know, plant your flag and kind of make it your own. So they were able to kind of shape it from the beginning. And as it grew, um, I don't think they were forced out. They just kind of you know, more and more queer women came to the game instead of the original queer fans being forced out by growing popularity, which is great. So one thing I've been really struck by whenever I go to um, women's soccer games is not only that there's a large queer fan base in the audience, but there's really uh, very out messaging. Do you feel like the National Women's Soccer League has been encouraging of its queer fan base and queer players? Or is this happening without any kind of institutional support uh, at all from the National Women's Soccer League and from the people who buy ads there? I think league-wide, there's kind of a tacit sanctioning because the NWSL is essentially an arm of U.S. soccer, and it would be really crappy of U.S. soccer not to at least be okay with this when they're touting out athletes like Abby Wambach and Megan Rapinoe as their heroes. Like, they structure so much of their advertising around Abby Wambach that it would be so hypocritical of them not to acknowledge her as a human being who happens to be queer. So on that broad level, there's at the very least tacit acceptance of this. There's not going to be any top-down mandate that's like, get those rainbow flags out of there. Well, it's interesting because, you know, the number of out 
male athletes in any professional sport in the United States can be counted on one hand. And there's one one gay male athlete uh, in in men's soccer. That's Robbie Rogers of the LA Galaxy. But typically, male athletes don't come out, or they come out in their last season, right before they're about to retire, or when they do retire. So you're really drawing a distinction between those sports and women's soccer, where some of the biggest stars on the field, the women who are the faces of the World Cup, like Abby Wambach and Megan Rapino, are out players. Yeah, I think anybody who is familiar with um, the world would, if they think about that for a minute, go, yeah, that makes sense to me. Because in men's sports, which is you know, considered to be the ultimate pinnacle of manliness if you're a pro athlete, that manliness, <clears throat> excuse me, that manliness is so incompatible with being queer, right, to the majority of the world. Um, to be a queer man means to not actually be a quote-unquote man. You've given up your masculinity because you might not be attracted to uh, cis women. Um, but for women, for what one reason or another, women's sexuality has never been as rigidly constrained obviously women have been you know their their bodies and their interests are often the target of legislation but just in the general consciousness like the zeitgeist of a population i think women's sexuality um is allowed to have a little more leeway well it's interesting how this plays out in reports of homophobia in sports i want to harken back to that survey i was talking about the the first international study of gay athletes which came out earlier this year it's called out in the field and i asked um, thousands of athletes if they'd ever received harassment slurs about their sexuality and the stats are pretty interesting it's that among um, gay lesbian and bi men and women 84% of men and 82% of women had received verbal slurs about their sexuality. So, you know, people throwing really nasty words at them. But male players were far more likely to be physically threatened and assaulted for their sexuality, whereas female players uh, were were far less likely to be. So there's this threat of physical violence facing gay male players that is still very real, but... um, but less of a looming danger for female players, the stats show. Yeah, and I think that kind of tracks with how men and women are raised socially. Men um, are encouraged far more to go into confrontations and be physical, whereas women, women's confrontations are uh, kind of channeled more towards being emotional or verbal. I mean, just as nasty, if you've ever had you know, a bully in school, the right female bully can just pick you apart with a couple of sentences, but yeah, I think that's due to more of a an overarching socialization problem than anything super related to sports. And I think for men, it's exacerbated by being in that, that sports atmosphere where they're encouraged to use physical expression as their outlet. And you just mentioned, so you're, you're a visibly queer person. How does it feel different for you being in the stands of a, of a women's soccer game versus the stands of another sports game where you're maybe cheering just as hard. I think it's not even on the level of being queer, just being a female presenting where there's just so many more women in the audience, so many more. So one thing that really gets to me about the homophobia in sports is that it seems like it should be a top priority for people who want to sell tickets to make 
sports a safe place for all people to go to. You know, queer fans are some of the most hardcore fans of women's soccer. They buy the tickets, they buy the shirts. Um, I wonder what other leagues can learn from the NWSL about uh, encouraging a queer fan base in their for their own interests. I mean, they're missing out on on a fan base here, on people who want to who love sports, who want to go buy tickets. <clears throat> I think what makes so many of them hesitant is they don't want to rely on this because they think queer fan bases are niche, and to some extent, just in terms of percentage of population, they kind of are. Um, teams want to appeal to that like 18 to 50 year old male demographic because they're kind of stuck in the past and they don't respect the the power of women's dollars um i don't necessarily know that nwsl is super capitalizing on this either right now they're at the level of they're actively okay with it but i'm not super sure that they're pursuing this as aggressively as they could. I think a great example to look at is actually the WNBA. Um, the WNBA is now actively marketing to LGBT audiences, and they, you know, when it came out that this was what they were going to be doing as an active marketing strategy, they released a statement saying, just because we advertise to LGBT fans doesn't mean we're going to lose other fans. Like, they don't displace parts of our audience. They're just a a good addition to our audience. Well, let's finish up with you telling us some sort of beautiful sports moment. Can you <laughs> can you can you recall a favorite moment um, from the Boston Breakers to regale us with? This is going to be really depressing, but the team has had two losing seasons in a row. Um, so I think uh, last season they had a home game to close things out. And even though they had no chance of making playoffs because they were second to last in the league, they still fought really hard at home, knowing it was their last game of the season, and they managed to pull out a win for us, the fans. And I think there's nothing on the line. It was just pride and doing it for the fans, and they did it. And it's kind of a sad story when I think about it, but it's all we've had in the past two years. writer Steph Yang. Steph co-hosts a podcast all about women's soccer. It's called Two Drunk Fans. Go look it up. 